0: Well, welcome back to Black Woman Voices. We are in season three. This is episode six. My name is Ann Edwards, and I want to welcome y'all to the podcast along with my
1: co hosts. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. This is Dr. V from Wichita State.
2: (laughs) Hey, hey. Happy Friday, y'all. We made it. We made it another week. Lord. uh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, hey, it's Jasmine from St. Louis. Look, I'm excited about the
1: weekend, okay? Come on. <laughs> Come on here.
2: And so we are excited
0: to have with us Pamela Atkins, and we are going to have a great conversation and talk about colorism and the diversity, equity, and inclusion, lovingly referred to as DEI work. And, and, and so uh, welcome to the podcast, Pamela. Welcome. Tell thank us you for more.
3: having me. Yeah, so Pamela Atkins. Currently, I am the Assistant Director of Academic Skills and Advising for the University of North Carolina Greensboro's TRIO STEM program. I'm also an adjunct professor at William Peace University, so definitely proud of both of those institutions. And what else you're doing? You're doing some other things. What yes, definitely. I'm also a PhD student at okay. um, UNCG as well. Um, I received my first degrees from North Carolina Central with a bachelor's in child development, master's in high, um, human development, and a master's in career counseling. So been very busy. Very, very busy. Very,
0: very busy. <laughs> Shout out to you, right? Because they know this, but I was a career counselor for six years. I love career work.
3: I love it, um, yes.
0: And so let's, I, why don't we, can we just start off by um, defining colorism for those in our audience who may not know
3: when we talk about colorism, what that means. Can we start off by defining that? Definitely. So colorism in simply stated is the prejudice of discrimination against individuals with dark skin tone. And you often see it in communities who share the same racial background. I mean, it can be, it's a global and local issues. So it's not just in the Black community. A lot of people always go straight to the Black Mm. community. They they Mm. have the same issues in the Latin community, in Southeast um, Asia, and in the Middle East. Everybody is striving for that that lightness to be at the top of the hierarchy with colorism.
0: Wow. So I just want to ask like a follow-up to that, because I will say that in my... This is a learning opportunity for me because... I never thought about colorism as discrimination against those with darker skin, right? I I never would have pieced that together. And but I have heard that it, it is prevalent in different communities. I wonder if anybody can provide insight as to where this started, right? Like, how is it that we got to a point where, cause I'm assuming lighter is the the standard, so that means European standard, whiteness mm-hmm. is the standard. How how did we kind of
2: get here? I think we know how we got here. Oh, okay. Oh, I don't know. Right. I don't know.
1: Right. If if we think about the lineage of things, right? And if we know that it's not just a black thing, it's a global thing, we can kind of look at imperialism and 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 think of, you know, whether that is we think of the colonizers and all of that and you know, and othering and and as the as the closer you got to whiteness, the higher your status became.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And further from it, the darker that you are from that, there goes status, there goes, you know, so there's kind of that piece as it relates to that. And I think what you're saying in terms of, you know, even kind of within the Black community, it kind of makes you think about where did we learn to other our own, you know, Mm -hmm. like, where does that come from, too, when we think about the definition and kind of the issue, as it relates to the dark, the darkness of it. Where did we get this idea that we should be othering each other?
3: And I think if you go back far, we go back to the before Christ times, or if you just go back to the Bible, Come there's on, a baby. reason why they create create Jesus as a white man, right? That's kind of a dog whistle to say, hey, this is what greatness is. This is the top. Be like Christ, you know. And so. That's, that's the start of it. And I think in our society, as you mentioned, what made us do that? Well, they put us against each other, right? If you were light, you were in the house. If you were dark, you were in the field. And so I think that's more modern times of where we got that from. And I think in our society, we fight so hard against racism. Like everybody is a racism, social justice warrior, white people, black people, but we don't, we don't think about how we accidentally sip the punch of white supremacy with colorism right? We don't, we don't even think about that. It's rooted. We have internalized white supremacy in us, right? Because we have this scale. You have white, you have black. And so who's the closest to the whiteness? Those are the superior people, right? And even people, white people who think that they are so liberal, they even have the colorism in them too. But it's unfortunately, colorism is not a protected class. So on a job, someone can be colorist towards you and there's nothing you can do about mm. it. That they weren't being racist, wow. they were being colorist,
2: right? So that's a, that's a way to look at it. There's definitely a way to look at it. And I just was thinking while you all were talking, like it's such an unconscious bias, you know. And I, I also, I just think that even, even with maybe pointing something out like that, that you're noticing, or maybe you see, like you said, Pamela, it's not something, you know, that we can be protected from.
3: Because if a Black female is, and I've experienced this, I think a lot of people have had that, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, that trauma sometimes from a a supervisor that shares those same characters, right? If a Black woman tries to paint me as an angry Black woman, and I try to say that to HR, they're like, how is that possible? She's Black too. There's no way she could be trying to paint you that way because she's Black. So that knocks that whole conversation out the water. There's nothing else to be said because... You know, that's just like saying a woman can't be sexist towards a woman or, you know, it's kind of it's one of those things that protects the institution and it just completely dismisses the entire conversation. Can
0: I add another layer to that? What are your thoughts on darker skinned black women having these viewpoints toward other darker skinned black women? Right. So this is not a light versus black thing in my mind. In my mind. There could be some acceptance of that. Right. Mm. I, I mean, as I, I study messages in my work and, and I very clearly remember, you know, don't stay out in the sun too long because you don't want to get too dark. Mm. My, mind you, this is coming from my darker family members. So why, why does it matter? Then I would look like you. Right. But it was still that message of don't get too dark, you know? And so I'm wondering how does that play into, especially our workplace?
3: And I I think an important thing to mention is discrimination has nothing to do with the character of the person doing the discrimination. It's about the victim. And I think that's the first part. So when people say Uh that's like, if I was overweight and I would discriminate, sorry, discriminating against other overweight people. Right. That's, I don't, that is, maybe I don't see myself as overweight. Maybe if I'm dark skinned, I think I'm light skinned. Right. So it's really about, you don't know how that person views themselves or how they view people. I've, I've met many black people who really disliked other black people. So it's not always, people are always looking at, oh, well, they're black or what, they're this color or they're a woman or whatever. It's not about that because you don't know how they view themselves. And so there's a lot of self-hate in our community, right? So I've mm-hmm. had those those aunts too. When I was a child, they had me ready to go find a someone of a different race to marry and have kids with because I thought it was just bad to be dark-skinned. Mm-hmm. So and those were aunts who were the same complexion, if not you know darker than myself. So there's a lot of self-hate within our community.
2: Uh I would almost think that that would, that it would originate from self or self-thought or, you know, lack of, I don't know, I guess, self-appreciation. I find it now, I'm just thinking about just my students that I work with and I work with high school students and, you know, a lot of the times there, there are, if there are negative things that are being put out in the atmosphere towards another student, it's because, underlying there's an the underlying message or tone with that original student that that's something that they don't like about themselves you know and so that's what I was thinking
1: mm-hmm.
2: or so, you know it starts yeah it's projected onto
1: onto the next person hmm. so I kind of so even kind of with that then is colorism something that can be unlearned then If we even think about the origination and even kind of, you know, tying into what Ann was saying in terms of, you know, like I remember my mom, you know, taking me to the, to the aisle and, you know, putting things on my elbows and putting different things on my knees because they were too dark and, you know, you can't have that, you know, all of that. Like, do you feel like it's something that can be unlearned? And if so, what is, what would be the process of that? Is that something that would be, you know, at the cradle? Is that something like... You know, and when would it be too late to unlearn that? So it's
3: two separate things, right? You have the local piece of that, the things that happen at home, just like racism, just like sexism, which you, you can learn one thing at home, but you still have the systemic issues. So mm-hmm. with colorism, it's, it's just like racism. So even if you 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 should teach your children how to love themselves and that you do that by representation, right? They shouldn't just see the white Disney princesses. They should watch <laughs> If you should watch The Wiz, not The Wizard of Oz, right, first. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, so Wiz that's, the Wiz, the Wiz. Wiz is like, <laughs> amazing. What is The Wizard of Oz, right? And so that's what that's how you do it in ho- at the home. But say, for instance, in 30 years, America will be what majority brown. We're, we are browning America. The white population is going to decrease. So how does that look? Does that look like all racism is gone all hierarchy is gone, or is the next um, group in line going to take that role, take the supremacy role, right? And so, unfortunately, the Black Americans are at the bottom of that hierarchy. And so, it's kind of like, who's going to be next in line once, you know, the the white population is gone? So, colorism is just another systemic issue, like racism. And so, it has to be addressed on a higher level. Just even look at how we do it in society. When you look at television, TV shows, The desired people are always that that light-skinned person, right? Some of our favorite shows coming to America, you know, the original one. You remember the light, it was the light-skinned girl Mm -hmm. and the dark skinned sister. The dark skinned sister was all fast and then nobody wanted her. She was just Mm -hmm. begging for a man. Those Mm. are that's what we showed. You don't even realize it's going in your head, right? Martin, Gina, Gina was the beautiful one, and Pam was the ugly, unwanted best friend you don't even realize that goes deep in your wow. soul. Like you really, and so you grow up thinking, oh, I'm never going to get married. Nobody wants the dark skinned person and you accept it. And our men see it too and they think that's what they're supposed to have. They're supposed to have the lighter person. And wow. so it really, it's a, it's a systemic issue on the on the black community and the Hispanic community. Um, because if you ever seen Hispanic soap operas, like you could see the colorism in there, you definitely see the, the the lighter people who are the the famous Latin stars. And so I think you see it across, even Asian, you'll see the lighter Asian Americans who are, you know, put at the top of the hierarchy. And so I think it's a problem that we have to fix within us, but at the, the higher level too, the systemic level. Can I ask
0: you though, how do you feel like this complicates uh, DEI work? I mean, I work in a black cultural center and this is a comp like this is a constant conversation. I have literally had lighter skinned black people not feel comfortable or and made in some instances not to feel comfortable being able to come because they're not black enough. Right. So how does how does this issue of colorism complicate the work in DEI?
3: Well, first, it just has to be brought up. I spent some time working at HBCUs where some people don't think they need diversity training at all because I'm black. Right. What I need. I don't need diversity training. This is for the the white colleagues. And in many cases they are. It is true, because when you go to the um, DEI trainings, it's all about black, black versus white. I feel like Hispanics, Asians, Native Americans, they feel left out of the conversation because there's yeah. always black versus white. Mm-hmm. And black people get tired of hearing that the stove is hot. Like we've been cooking our whole life. We know the stove hot. You don't have to keep telling us. So I think that that's the first step. Make it broader. Make it not just about that black and white. So just bringing the colorism conversation up. And I think the only problem with it, when you bring colorism up in training situations, it needs to be one, probably a you're going to have to break up the groups because it's almost like talking outside of the house. You know, your mama told you what happens in this house. You don't talk about it outside. Yes, that's yes. that's how it is yes, with colorism. Yes. Right. And so, but then you also need to talk about it to the, the HR department because they need to know that that light skinned person isn't more educated, more experienced just because they're light skinned. That dark skinned person could be just as good at the job. They could be a leader too. And so it's different trainings that need to occur because oftentimes you'll see that, you can see it on the statistics, that a a fair-skinned person is more likely to get the job than a dark-skinned person, regardless of your experience or your education. So that is a training that needs to happen with supervisors and HR as well. And I think often DEI tries to do a one-size-fits-all, like they make one for the entire school. When Different departments need different trainings. The faculty need a specific training, staff need a specific training, leaders need it, and oftentimes you don't even see leaders in the trainings. You're like, where president so-and-so at? They need to be right here beside me.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> I used to hate that when I used to I, I used to host a lot of trainings and I'm like, where well, can President So-and-so they are come and say, Hey, I just want to say hey and leave. I'm like, you need to sit down. You need to come sit right beside me and catch some of this training. But and oftentimes they just leave it to staff because sometimes faculty they're not even there. It's, it's housing staff, you know, student life. But and that's it. It's not mandatory for anybody. So
2: I have a question. I've always within higher ed, I've shied away from. You know, looking at any positions DEI related, or you know, even talking about things DEI related, because I truly feel like I don't have a full understanding of what all it includes, what all it entails, and just like with, with how you read, I feel like you know, it, it, it's levels to this, right? So, I guess in a sense of what you have worked on or dealt with or training wise, what are some of the most prevalent pieces of DEI work do you feel are needed or are necessary? Or what do you feel is not being taken advantage of that needs to be taken advantage of?
3: Yes. Good question. So my biggest pet peeve is one, I don't want to be on that now of the a- diversity committee ever that's just gathering research that you've been gathering for the last 20 years like we Mm -hmm. have it what now and so I think we need to stop so much awareness training and start Mm -hmm. implementing policy and start implementing accountability we need to stop making our effort go towards the ignorant these people who like oh I didn't know this or I didn't know that there's google now maybe 15 years ago you could say you didn't know something but now there's no excuse you could go to the side, google it and then come back to the conversation Right. Um, so we should, our efforts, diversity should go more towards how do we improve the the lives or the situation of our um, Native American students, our Black students, our Hispanic students, the faculty and the staff. How do we make sure they have proper um, professional development so they can go to the next leadership level? Those are the things I think diversity should focus on, because right now it's just training people who didn't know better. I once, I when I was working at a community college, I... I would help with the diversity trainings because we were trying to improve the retention rate of black males at the school. And so we would bring in speakers and every single time it would be hijacked by an emotional white colleague. They would cry. They would make it about them. It would completely hijack the whole training. And so every we did about five or 10 per year and every single one would be, what about me? You know, I never did that. I'm not like that. And so I think we need to shy away from that. I mean, I feel like we, we went through it enough. And it's a common thing. When I started going to conferences, I started realizing that wasn't just my training. It was, it was happening across the, you know, the nation, probably. And so I think we need to center the conversation around how do we fix it? How do we hold stuff? How, how do we hold higher ed accountable? What impact can we make? Not just this awareness training. During one of those trainings, I remember a conversation about the Black Panther Party came up one time and one of the, the white ladies said, well, you know what the Black Panther Party was about, right? And we were like, what? Like, oh, well, they were raping white women. That's what that, the whole purpose was. And this, this was a faculty member. And so right then I realized we need to stop this because, right, we're just we're we're these awareness trainings. We like people like that shouldn't even be working with students. If that's what you think the Black Panther Party was all about, right? And there's no excuse because you are you are choosing to be ignorant. Because Google University is real. Like uh, you can just it's on your phone. Um, so I I think we need yeah. to just it's real need and to flip it's free it. and it's free. It it's, it's free. 99. No, no it's free, loans needed. And so I think the, the we just need to change. the we need to center the conversations more, and mm-hmm. we need to just stop with this trying to teach people about diversity because especially over the last year, there's no reason someone could say, I didn't know black people dealt with this. There's no way they can
1: say it at this point. It's so then, go ahead. Go ahead. Doc. Go ahead, Dr. V. Well, I, I guess uh, and maybe and maybe this is a two part question. Right because I, I, to kind of connect to, you know, Jasmine's questioning and, you know, and all of the positions that are popping up DEI, you know, particularly as we look at, you know, the things that were happening, you know, last summer with George Floyd and even kind of what's happening now in terms of the trial uh, there's a lot of DEI positions that are posted, but it's making me wonder not only who is attract you know, not only, you know, who ends up doing those types of positions, but how do you see those positions are hard. And oftentimes it's like moving a boulder up to, up a hill. And it makes me think about how do you see DEI work and burnout and intersectionally as, as a, you know, as a black woman, you know, what, what does burnout look like working in that type of position and have you experienced it? And like, what, what does that look like?
3: So when starting this PhD program, my end goal was to work in a DEI type position. That's what I thought I wanted to do. But I had I had a class assignment where I had to actually interview individuals who work in those fields, right? And they they pretty much warned me. They were like, don't do it because it's a checkoff list. You, your hands are tied. You're making no change. You're making no impact. You're just, the school is saying, hey, we want you to do these trainings so that we can check them off. And but this but mm-hmm. in the same breath, those same leaders are not giving you the support to impact change at the institution. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think the, the burnout is real. The people who is attracted, they are people who think they're going to make a difference. And so when you after years of doing that position and you realize you're not making a difference, you're just putting on programs and trainings. I think mm-hmm. that is an emotional burnout right? Because it's like your hands are tied, you're doing nothing. Um, Advice one um, individual gave me was do the same diversity work in another department. Be that person, be that social justice voice Mm -hmm. in housing, in career development, in TRIO, be that person in those different areas. And so that's one, I took that and it's a big reason why I wanted to work in the TRIO program with my research focuses preparing first gen Black women for life after you know, college. And so I, I can do this DEI work with those first gen trio students. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think the thing with in higher ed, how you don't burn out, because I've, I've burned out at least 10 times in my 12 years working at higher ed and you, and you want to give up. And I feel like a lot of us stay here because we love the students and we love what we do. Yeah. And so I think not to burn out is to realize your purpose. And know that you can do your purpose in every department, regardless of what you're doing, you can you can focus on your purpose. And so I think that's what we have to teach, specifically our black women, because we sometimes we get ran ragged. We are the moms, the aunties, the sisters. That we, we're that We're the I find myself a lot being the advocate. For me, my peers, my classmates, my co-worker, sometimes we take on much more than we can chew, but it's just who we are. It's how we're built. Like we right? Or we are, period.
0: Yes. Whatever,
2: there ain't no fill in the blank. Whatever Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's
3: right. <laughs> you know,
0: I just yeah. kinda, to, to that DEI comment, like, you know, honestly, a lot of these positions are popping up just as a result and they're very shallow. So you have mm-hmm. to... Um, Make sure that your institution is ready. You have to your institution mm-hmm. because institutions institute, and I will say that I, I you know it is it this is it is not easy, which is probably partially why I was like kind of leery about going into it, right? Because you have to the amount of time and investment is bananas, you know. I, I have said often I've said before that my me and my team have been humping. We hunt just normally, but since June of last year, it has been crazy. Sit on this committee, sit on that committee. And what, what I find is that the students are asking for action. They don't want you to be just having committees anymore. Yeah. They want to know what you're actually doing. Mm-hmm. And 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 I and I find I I know that black women are burning out. And I, I know that's Dr. V's like jam, black women and burnout, because you're right. When you need to call somebody in to figure out how to get it done and fix it, and th- now mind you, you stressed out laid out. But one thing I tell people is that it's going to be some balance
3: up in this in yeah. this because I'm just learning how to say no. Yeah, you I'm like <laughs> I just learned. A
0: complete sentence with a period at the end and a face that say don't ask me again cuz I'm just when I I said what I said.
3: But then you're labeled See, that's the so that's the the up and down. You try to be this humble, helpful individual because they know you're strong and they know you can do it. But then when you burn out and you say no, now you are forever labeled as the the, the black, angry black woman or the, you're not a team player. And so yeah. it's such a, it's such a thin line, right? You don't know which way to go. Like, should I say yes? Should I say no? And so we just really have to, I, and that's when it comes to encouraging each other. I've been very lucky and fortunate that I have a cohort of black women like UNCG. I don't know what happened. They took a, a large number of black women in at once. And it's so amazing. And we really support each other and we encourage each other to say no. If you're tired, you're tired. Tell them that you're tired. But one thing I do want to point out to you is DEI is not, you see the same situation in the career counseling and financial literacy. These are all checkoff boxes. They are things that students need. But at what point are we going to realize that these shouldn't be individual island departments? It needs to be infused in everything. They need to be learning diversity in every class They need to learn financial literacy in every um, topic. Mm -hmm. Same with career counseling. It needs to be infused throughout. But we are so busy doing these individual islands. That's why it's so hard to get through to students and faculty and staff.
0: I agree. And I think I want to go back to a point that you said when you talked about how it's not mandatory. You know, I am finding that students are asking for mandatory diversity work and Mm -hmm. with outcomes for faculty. And, and and I don't know if you've heard or have any thoughts around this, but forcing a faculty member to do things, forcing anybody <laughs> is like, let's laugh at
3: don't it. be tenure. Oh,
0: listen, put <laughs> somebody on today, you know, and this and and, and I think the question is, is my question is always why do I have to force you if you if you care about the wellness and the wholeness of the the student you know then then you would want this because you want this in your environment but then i had to allow myself well really just resign myself to say everybody don't feel that way this is a job for somebody like just like it's a job for anybody else
3: well i think faculty aren't built the same way right and, and i and i like i i one of my goals is to go more on the faculty side. That's why I'm teaching as an adjunct now. And I'm learning that not all faculty are student-developed centered. Like they, they went in their fields, they got that experience, and now they're teaching. So where student affairs individuals, people who have worked at housing, trio, student life, you went and got that education and you understand student development and you care about the student. And so I think that's the first problem. So when you try to force a faculty member to learn something about, I've literally had arguments with faculty about things like this. When you try to force student development on them, they're like, no, I'm an English teacher. I'm a science. I'm biology. I'm engineering. This is what I do. And that's it. I'm not doing nothing else. They, they come here, they learn, and they need to get out my class. They don't care that much about the students. It's all about their topic. I think what higher ed needs to do is fix that problem. Because if you're not here for the student, why are you here? higher ed needs to, it really should be student development centered. I'm in focus. And I know you want to have these professionals teaching these courses, but you want to keep the students here too. And i am definitely, you know, as a, a faculty of color and a staff member of color, I definitely get the complaints about instructors from students. And it's really it's sad and unfortunate that some some staff some faculty don't care about the students and hopefully that is something that can be fixed in higher ed. And I really
0: believe that it can. I I I live in a ro- world of rainbows sometimes and I do believe I love it can be fixed, <laughs> right? But I do you know how and what in our educational system we determine that There were things that people need in early childhood that would help prepare them. I feel that way about graduate education. There are some things that that student should not walk out with. You should not walk out of grad school saying that you want to go into faculty and you've never had any professional development around student development, not diversity training per se. But as you said, things infused. Into to yeah. all kind of different things. I think that we lack, we definitely lack. So I, I have another question and this may take us in a different route and who benefits from colorism?
3: Ooh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, if you, the simple answer is the system, white supremacy, whoever you want to call the system, right? Um, because when you have colorism, that means you have people within the same group fighting each other. Right. So if you have black women fighting each other, um, thinking, you know, oh, I'm higher than you. You're higher than me, whatever. Then you're not focusing on the real problems, the, the, the things that have been created to keep us from the top. And so then we're stuck at this level, never reaching president, CEO, because we're too busy fighting each other. And I always tell people like one of the biggest things, like if you go all the way back to Africa before they got the first black person on that boat. They had to get us to get us on the boat, if that makes sense. So black other Africans had to get other Africans on that boat. So they figured out a way all the way in Africa, how to turn us against each other, different tribes. Right. And so just think about that was 400 years ago. Why is that still the method now? And why is it still working? This is colorism is that method getting us, turning us against us, saying you're light-skinned, so you're better, so you're in the house. You're dark skin, you're no good, so you're in the field. That's a trick. We have to get past this trick. We have to to get past this colorism piece. And so I think the only person who benefits from it is the systems who created it in the first place.
0: That's a word. I, listen, I'm <laughs> like that's a whole word. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yep. I think there's there's people in between who think they're benefiting from it. So mm-hmm. fair skinned, lighter woman who, who thinks, oh, I have this position and so and I'm gonna keep this darker skinned woman under me. You think you're you you're doing well, but really you're not gonna get so high either. It's always gonna be if you're while you're sitting there worried about not letting this person get past you, you're gonna be stuck too. And so I think once we realize that and work together, because I'm the kind of person I feel like I want to help all my minority women specifically because I know women in general have a harder time getting up that ladder. I'm like, let's pull each other up the ladder. We could take over at the top once we all get there, but we can't be down here fighting each other. We have enough people fighting and keeping us down. We don't have to do it to each other.
0: And I think that pitting against pitting people against each other. I think is extremely prevalent. I think one thing that has been surprising to me is some of that that happens in DEI work, right? I think people come into this work for different reasons. I believe that it is more than black and white, right? So you have ableism, you have gender and sexuality and, and, I mean, just all, all these different type of diversity areas, but it seems like in a lot of ways Colorism, seen, and, and what's crazy is that it's not a system that depends on power, like racism. Colorism is so unassuming. It's so unassuming. And I I don't know, like, have you seen any ways that the DEI work or any, like, what are some of the ways that you think we can work to address some of these issues of colorism?
3: Well, I think it's just kind of like what we talked earlier, it, it's about focus it on DEI with those specific departments. So DEI, instead of just being a, and it's not like this at all um, institutions, but instead of just being a programming training body, to just show, you know, hey, look what we're doing, right? It needs to be more one-on-one with HR. Like, how can DEI help HR? How can DEI help faculty? I think that needs to be the focus. That needs to be a lot more behind the scenes. So instead of these committees that take four years to create a research, and you know, the, it needs to be an a action committee. Like something: what are we doing today? What are we doing in three months? What are we doing in a year? It needs to have. It has to be some type of action. One initiative that that I I was going for, I'm at one point, I really w- wanted to get people's buy-in on how would it look if we we forced institutions to show their, I'm a hold them accountable. So every time someone filed a complaint, a diversity or discrimination complaint, they had to, what if they had to release it to the public, right? And so, and I, you know, getting people's feedback on that, they're like, oh, that would be horrible because what if they're, somebody's lying, what if this, but you know, yes, that's extreme, but what can we do that's somewhere in the middle? like maybe not release every single complaint, but what can we do to hold higher education accountable? I'm um, kind of like, think of Title IX. Like mm-hmm. now at some schools, I know at UNC Chapel Hill, they, they've been in the news. And so they're having to release pe- the, the you know records when people are filing these different Title IX sexual assault allegations. What if they view discrimination the same way? That would be major in higher education. So now the public would have a, you know a, a choice do I want to go to this institution? do I want to work at this
0: institution? I think that's the real reason why they don't want to publish yes, it, right that's because right you don't want people to say those things you don't want people to yeah. really see or, or or see what's underneath and what's behind that what's
3: behind the veil <laughs> yeah but wouldn't that wouldn't that change your institution like if you know that teacher X every semester has a student that files a complaint on her being racist every semester, but they keep getting paid off behind the scenes and you never hear about it. What if the public knew about that? Now either Professor X would have to leave or change. So that's how you hold people accountable.
0: Students don't they? Students can rank different professor faculty members on like rate my professor and things like that. So that's very prevalent. So we have two people. Well, I know we have people that are interested in faculty and, and that are faculty on the line. So I think my question is, how do you get faculty, especially when we talk about this work? How like I think that a best practices session for faculty. How do you get them to, especially those who are like tenured and are like, I just want to teach. And I, or those who are like, what has this got to do with research?
3: Yeah.
0: Right. You'll get
3: those. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think some, I hate to say it, but sometimes I think some people are lost causes. And I (laughs) I say that to say, think about if you have a, somebody who is it feels deeply about racism. They're 85 years old and they're like some some things you just can't change, right? That's how they feel. So if you have a faculty member who's been tenure, they've been in the game for 25, 30, years, sometimes you just have to weigh it out and let them <laughs> let them retire, right? You can hold them accountable, but trying to get them to change their practice or their, their mindset is so difficult. And tenure is so much politics with tenure. That's what I've I've always I'm on the fence with if I want to go full into the faculty world. But I think you almost have to start re- with the recruiting process. I think our energy has to be on who are the new faculty that we are recruiting and what are our standards now? And then after a while, those those professors who are still there, if you're recruiting this new this new era of professors and you're telling them this is what it's going to be, they're either going to have to catch up, get along, or they're going to eventually find them way their way out the door.
0: What I heard well, is split ends. That's what I, immediately I felt a split ends. And we you let your hair grow and then you cut off the that, sweating so that it can go that's grow. perfect. Right. That's right.
1: Cause but you got to come. I think cut that's them. powerful though. I think that's powerful to say that there has to be this kind of like buy-in right. Because I think we all know, you know, we're all, you know, on extra committees and, you know, and some of the committees specific specifically for DEI do things. And sometimes, you know, you, it's, it's on the resume. Right. And so I think that's a really good point to say that it has to kind of be when you're not growing them, but essentially when people are coming in the door. But I think about so then kind of a continuation of that question. If you kind of get people when they're coming in the door and they're wanting to kind of knock down doors and walls as it relates to this critical DEI work, how how can what does it look like to encourage them to keep going if they have this system that says we don't got time this is too much. You're, you're, you're requiring extra work. Like this is unnecessary type thing. Cause I think about there's, there's a couple of institutions that I'm thinking now that are really doing really critical DEI stuff, but there's no university buy-in. So how do how do, how do you continue that? And because it often seems like a lot of university policy, particularly as we think think about DEI stuff is reactionary, right? Because we all know schools that release statements when George Floyd stuff happened. We all know schools that release statements when there's been these massive marches. Like I literally think about the summer and all of those, you know, those wonderful statements that more than likely a DEI person wrote. But what, what happens after that, you know, and, and, I guess the question is, do they want things to happen after that?
3: Yeah. And I think the problem is hot topics is the problem in higher ed, right? <laughs> What's the yeah. hot topic this week? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm, you know, March was conference season. And so I heard the, what is it, the acknowledgement statements in every single session I was in. So the land every acknowledgement. Section. Every, Every single session. Not yes. that I don't think my Native American yeah. brothers and sisters deserve it because Lord knows they deserve it. But is that the hot topic for right now? And is this going to be here in a year or two? And then here's the next thing. You're acknowledging this land. But what you're doing about it? Are you about to go and find their their, their heirs and say, hey, you get free tuition? You get free tuition. You get free tuition. Like, what what are we doing with it? Like, um. And so I, I think there's a lot of hot topics and a lot of like Black Lives Matter was a hot topic when you remember the bathroom bill that was a hot topic. I ain't heard nothing else about it. It was gone here here one day, gone the next day. And so I think to answer the question to. to to get away from that burnout, it has to be infused into the the actual policy of the school, not just here's an extra mandate you have to do. Here's an That's extra good. training you have to go to. Here, it shouldn't be extra. It should be a part. So the the words that are being said by the DEI person needs to be in the mission statement. It needs to be in the policy, in the human resource handbooks. It needs to just be infused in everything about the college with the teachers in the classroom, to the housing, to the programming that is done. It shouldn't just be like, oh, yeah, do this. And yeah, by the way, let's talk about diversity. No, it should be just it should be the same thing. It should just be be the same conversation.
0: I think that what you said was critical, right? If your institution is truly committed to DEI, it has to be in the policy, because policy is the way that things have been excluded. And so in order for there to be any inclusion, the policies have to change. So. I, I always like to point out if the, the key to it. So if you look at a company and they're saying we believe in diversity, equity and inclusion, but they haven't changed not nearly about policy. They haven't changed a board member. They haven't changed it. And the, if they haven't changed how they do business, right, uh, then they th- then that was the statement that they made.
3: Yeah. Well, that's like, you know, you had people, all of my neighbors put Black Lives Matter signs in their yards. Right. So the question is, do you really believe that? Or is is that your way of saying I'm with y'all? Don't don't trash my house. Don't don't mess up my stuff. I'm with (laughs) y'all. Or (laughs) do you truly do you truly believe it? Right. And so that's how I look at these companies like my husband and I, we speak about how do you are you investing in black owned companies? You know, you hear it in Atlanta right now, they're talking about this. Like, how are you, Apple, are you investing in Black-owned companies? Who who are you using? Delta, who are you using to clean your airports? Is that a, did you find a Black-owned cleaning service? Like, what are you doing? You can say that you care, but what are you doing?
0: Yes, yes, yes. And we are seeing that in policy, right? We're seeing, we're literally seeing. So yes, I, man, this was a good conversation. This was a good conversation. Wow. I don't. I don't think people really think about how deeply rooted this is, and 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 that is not a black issue, you know. But it is rooted, and it, it it like a lot of other issues are rooted in anti-blackness.
3: Yes, because yeah. when you go white and black, we at the yes. tippy the the bottom. Yes, but is everything in between is is still other yes. other cultures are still feeling the impact of this ailment. Um, because that's what colorism, racism, all of that is. I can't wait to the day that it's in the, the counseling handbook. Let's just call it. It's an illness. <laughs> it's mental um, because we know race is not a real thing. It's, it's not. It's, it's a societal thing. So therefore, if racism is a societal thing, so is color. Right. And it, it shouldn't be this way. Even even in the white community, darker white people do not get the same privileges as those fair skinned white people. So it's not even just black Asian, Hispanic. It's throughout. I mean, we, we have to stop making this stuff up and <laughs> and just live our life, right? But it's the, the system that we live in.
0: Mom, you know, okay. And here,
3: <laughs> then
0: why do you see people, white people that are like tanning and trying to get darker and trying to get this olive toned skin if
3: you know, but but I'll tell you it's one. It's almost thing. like fetishing, though. It
0: is literal Fetishization fetish, is, fetish? is that the word? Fetish? Yes,
3: yes, definitely.
0: Uh, That's what it blackness. is. While at the same time not having to live that life mm-hmm. all the time
3: and but you know and then there's we have a lot of hypocrisy in it because then you have um what was her name rachel who wanted to okay. identify okay. as black So yes dollars that's it and so we have that and so colorism is real but you also have people who don't want nothing to do with the so the white supremacy piece of it they're ashamed of it right yeah. and so they rather be on this side of the, the, the colorism spectrum is, you know, so it, it, it varies from culture to culture, but it's definitely a fetish for um, some individuals to live in that, that black world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we have some kind of rapid questions or just questions that we ask everybody who comes on our show.
3: I listened and tried to kind of prep for this to some of your shows. So okay.
0: <laughs> if you read it. Okay, so, start with the one that we have been asking throughout this season and that is unmasking and jasmine help me with the question because i always get
2: is it yes yeah, so, so pretty much it's centered around you know when or at what point did you realize that you were wearing a mask
3: and this is more referring
2: to personally, like kind of mm-hmm. personally, okay. personally you know with free. Fam, just in in whatever situation that that you can think of, when did you realize maybe that you were wearing a mask?
3: I think when entering my PhD program, so it was very recent. I felt like I realized I wasn't able to be my true authentic self. Mm-hmm. And and right when I entered the PhD program, I had got released from a position. The same story I told you guys about with a black female boss who who painted me as an angry black woman? And when I tell you I did everything right, I busted my butt, was there on time, did extra work, even when she was underperforming, I did, you know, b- busted my butt. And that's when I realized it doesn't matter how hard you work, they you still are who you are, right? You can try to avoid being Keisha Quanisha from the hood, but they still see you that same way. So instead of trying to fight against it, embrace embrace those individuals. So I take up for those individuals now, right? And so that's how that's when I realized I needed to be more my true authentic self. I'm entering into a PhD program, you know, of course gives you a lot of imposter syndrome. And so you have to really figure out who am I? Why do I belong here? Cuz for the longest time I felt like I was BSing through these these degrees. You know, this this is on my fourth degree and at this point I still didn't think I was smart. I was like, I don't know how I made it here. I just been BSing and I just started realizing
1: maybe you know your stuff. Maybe maybe you deserve to be
3: here. Maybe you are a smart Black woman and you need to pull up some more Black women and let them know they're smart right along with you. And so I think it has been definitely a recent thing, probably in the last three years, where I've really, truly started being my authentic self and learning my... And now that I understand what my purpose is, I've been able to, to kind of push forward. That's
0: awesome. Yeah. PhD program. A doctoral program... We'll do hmm. that to you. So can run it through. of <laughs> saying it right now. I I had a moment where I was like in a ball crying. Like, I don't even understand how I got here. Yeah. yeah. So I do. I, I I get it. But hey, joy comes in the morning. That's, that's all I want to That's it. But, but okay. Some other questions. So what songs would you add to our... Black Woman Voices playlist. We have a playlist on Spotify. So what are those songs that get you
3: like, yeah. And they don't have to be a groove. It could be a bop. It could be whatever. What are your songs? I'll be honest with you. So, okay. And, and if you see me on Twitter, you'll know this. I used to DJ. I DJ through my master's program, right? Yeah. So, So I DJ through my master's program, but once I I had in 2017, I graduated with my second master's, got married, bought a house, had a baby, got into a Ph.D. program. Like a lot happened. Right. And so I didn't have time for music that much. And so I stopped DJing. I had to be a Ph.D. student, couldn't do both too much. And so I and so what I listen to now, that get me hype because I listen to the news more than anything. They're so inappropriate. They're they like I love I love I love these these I love Megan I love Cardi I love Sweetie I love all of these independent women who are talking dirty and raunchy because they're talking about it. They're telling the men what they gonna do to them, not what the man gonna do to them. You know what I'm saying? So it's like that empowerment. I love it. Mm-hmm. I definitely wouldn't encourage my students to listen to it because it's so inappropriate. But I love everything Megan Cardi. You know, all of I have them. to listen to them on the way to work in the morning. If they if you want to if you want me to show up, I have to listen to them. And you want me to be bouncing a little. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm a body, body, body right on up into the office. <laughs> so that's that's my that's my hype list right now. All all the women. I love all of them. OK. All right. OK.
0: So along those lines, what books would you recommend to add? We have a good reads list. What books would you recommend?
3: So I am reading right now, because you know I'm a, I'm a PhD student, a PhD student. so we don't have a lot of time to read fun books, right? But I am right now reading The Devil You Know by Charles Blow, Ooh. and that is a new book that um, came out recently, and it's talking about what would happen if Black people all moved to the South, if we could gain political power by all migrating back to the South. It's a really powerful book. I also, I love any Black empowerment book for women especially so hood feminism by right. mickey kendall <laughs> push <laughs> out by uh, monique morris those are all powerful books but definitely right now i'm just, i am in the midst and of course i for class i just had to do ebony and ivy which i'm sure you are all familiar with ebony and ivy and we had him come to our class to talk to us mm. the, the oh. dr wilder was amazing oh, He gave really good book. advice he, he he's amazing and so really good book if you are in higher ed you, if you, if you're not reading Ebony and Ivy, you, you, you need to not be an higher ed. That's a required book for my class. A, yes, it should. Mm-hmm. You should have to read that. Okay, okay. So I'm gonna
0: add a couple books to our book list. So there were two that came out recently. So The Professional Troublemaker by Lovey Ajayi. I cannot pronounce that last name. Lovey Jones it's Ajaye Jones, I think. And what other book that I just download on my? Because I'm like, man now that i have finished my draft i
3: can read again i
0: literally sit out here I'll be reading y'all let me um, say I, I
3: don't read I audible this one I, yes
0: I audible book <laughs> so yes that's, that's what i do money. so if y'all don't follow the bludgeonista but get good her book just came out this week get good with money by tiffany Aliche. and so yeah a couple books. i will add them Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So let me see. What other rapid, rapid questions do we usually ask? I, this
2: is where I, okay. What am I uh, you did them? Yep. And then the last one would be tell us what, what this podcast means to you. What does black mm-hmm.
3: voices mean to you? Well, I love it. I think the world needs to see that there are educated black women. Mm-hmm. I think it the world, I think it's good for other black women to see it. And I just realized this while teaching my William Peace class this semester, because I always have Black students who say, oh, I love what you, it's so amazing to have a Black instructor, right? Well, it's good for my Black students, but my white students need to see it too, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think this podcast is giving a voice to Black women. I I think it would be amazing if there were like 10, 15 more, because I think it needs to reach worldwide for people to see Black women. We are not here to play. Mm -hmm. We're getting these PhDs. So we is like a, a secret attack, right? We are behind the scenes working, and so I think this is giving a voice to that. And I so appreciate you women for that. Definitely a, a great podcast.
0: Well, we would like to thank you, Miss Pamela Atkins, for coming on here yes. and giving us your wisdom and sharing your knowledge and and everything. And to our audience, we hope that you will join us in this conversation and and add to it. Help us to to add to this conversation, and so.
1: Man, I'm bull. Any
0: My co-hosts have anything that they want to add or anything that
1: they want to. No, I loved it. I loved it. And I thank you for this conversation. I know it was definitely um, something that I needed, but I enjoy having these types of conversations with our guests. And because we always talk about this, like there's sometimes where we have conversations It's like, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that I needed it in that way. Mm -hmm. but I actually did need it in that way. And it's answering something. So we just thank you for sharing your gift. Thank you.
2: Yeah. And I just laugh at myself because even though I'm on this podcast, I do a whole lot of listening more than I do talking. But I really, I I appreciate you sharing. I definitely appreciate you sharing today. Like I said earlier, you know, this isn't a topic that I'm really, you know, very keen on. And so I appreciate all of the lessons. And I know, who call?
3: Got you. <laughs> Got you. <laughs> yeah, this was a great therapy session. I appreciate y'all. Yeah. <laughs> <Definitely>.
0: <laughs> and we're here for this every other week, y'all. So please, please, please. We thank our listeners and we hope that you will like, share, subscribe to our podcast. Help us to become super uber visible. And so people can find us and you can find us on Instagram and twitter Mm -hmm. and we will have the different links and facebook and facebook okay we'll have all the links in the bio because i can't i can't do (laughs) another link but they'll be in the bio for you for you all so we just want to thank y'all and thank you for tuning in with us today and i think we will see you next time